Thank you for gladness. Thank you for absence of sorrow. Thank you for hope and encouragement today. Because this is what you do. You've made this day for us to rejoice and be glad in. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Praise God. Have these things been prayed for, Ms. Nola? I'm assuming they are because they were up here. Okay. All righty. Sounds good. Amen. Praise God. So God is on the throne. Amen. Let all the earth be silent before him. I love it. Yes. Praise God. So amen. God is a good God. So today I thought we would end this year with giving you a, a message about who you are before God. He told me to tell you, you have an established place in his heart. Amen. You have an established place in his heart. You have an established place in his heart. It's not a, um, we don't have to fight for God's attention. Amen. Uh, We don't have to fight for the things we need. Not in a carnal sense. Uh, When you wrestle, you wrestle because you're defending a position that's already given to you. So you're not wrestling to get anything You're wrestling to get it established. Amen. Because as long as the enemy is fighting you for it, it needs some fortification. It needs some reinforcement. It needs to be established. And so God wants to establish us in the things that he has for us. And that's really what our warfare is because the enemy is a thief. Um, What we do as far as warfare, it's the same thing that you do when you get an alarm system for your house. It's the same thing that you do when you put locks on your doors. Amen. It's the same thing that you do when you lock up your car and and your belongings and you take your purse with you when you get up and move, all that kind of stuff. You are resisting the thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so our warfare really is never to get anything. But it is to establish the things that are freely given to us by God. So there's a different focus to our warfare. And because we're not fighting to get something, we're fighting to maintain something already given. If you don't see it as already given, your fight is way off. Amen. You will always be trying to get something that God's already given you. You know, the enemy is, is good at deceiving people. He's a master of deceit. And what he will do, same thing he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He told them something they already had was not theirs. In other words, in the day that you do what I tell you to do, then you will be like God. Amen. But they were like God already. They were created in his image. You got me? And so when you start to wrestle and fight and and strive over things, it's because there is something that you already have that the enemy has deceived you into thinking is not yours. 
Amen. And so a lot of our struggles, a lot of our conflict, a lot of our whatever, whatever, uh, uh, comes because of deception that we have listened to the enemy long enough to get convinced that something God has already given us is not ours. He constantly puts you on the basis of, of uh, earning from God, see, and because he knows what you used to do because you used to do it for him. And so all he does is bring up the old stuff he used to trick you into doing, which those sins are forgiven. And the desire to do them now, because God lives inside of you, that desire is decreased. I don't care if it's just decreased by a little bit. You have less desire to sin and to act out now than you ever did. And if you don't believe that, maybe that's where you need to start. See, if you don't start in the place of understanding your redemption, you, you're on the wrong footing. A lot of people are trying to do work things with their faith and they don't know how to walk in love. You understand? Your faith won't work without that. You're not going to be an angry, bitter, mean person and get the blessings of God. Now, how many of y'all have tried it? I tried it and it didn't work, did it? So we know that don't work. So we can put that in the dumpster column and let's move on to trying to be right. Amen. To be Christians for real, but for real though, y'all. So we've all tried that, you know, where you try to justify how you feel towards somebody based on the way they treated you last time. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't, you don't know what they did to Jesus so that you don't have to live like this. If you zero in on that, you consider your sufferings. Uh, light afflictions and most of us are living in the land of of reaping off of what we've sown already and don't want to admit that you want to be a victim all your life you're not a victim amen jesus put victimhood to the cross too with everything else that was wrong in our lives so if you'll just let that little nugget go amen then you can step into a place where your faith really really works i mean it really works you have a, uh, an advantage here because you can pray a prayer of agreement and see God work in your life. And that's an encouragement to you to start to live for God so that he can work for you, for your prayers. You understand? You can see a prayer that you pray by yourself work just like the prayer of agreement does. If you'll allow God to show you the things he's trying to show you. He wants us, he wants you to get beyond the baby stage of Christianity. He wants to get you beyond the stage of diapers and onto strong meat so you can step out and help somebody else. Amen? And so when I say step out and help somebody else, I mean people will be drawn to you to pray for them. In the coffee room at work, they catch you by yourself. Uh, because God set up an appointment for you to be able to help somebody else. See, that lets you know you've gotten out of diapers in God's kingdom. Amen? I'll talk to the Christmas tree today. Uh huh. <laughs> so put the sword down, you know, against one another. Put the sword down against people. Put the sword, quit fighting against flesh and blood. 
You know, you go on Facebook and say, yeah, all you haters out there, ain't nobody thinking about you. All this in your imagination. Everybody always addressing their haters like they're doing something wonderful. Then the next thing you see, please pray for me. I'm having surgery. <laughs> you better get some imaginary friends because according to you, don't know what you're asking your haters for prayer for. Craziest thing I ever heard in my life. People is nuts, you know. You just have to love them and let them keep it moving because they're some confused little puppies. Amen. But the reason you don't have to fear anything, nobody can upset your life, nobody can do any harm to you, is because you have an established place in God's heart. Huh? You know, if I was sometimes, I would have a, a just a rough whatever. I don't know. You know, it's women... You know, you always a basket case at one time or another. And I would, I would come in and I would tell, (laughs) my husband would look at me and sometimes he'd keep looking at the television. If it was too rough, he, he act like he really enjoyed it. He was on the television, get scared. And then sometimes he said, baby, come here, just sit down and it's going to be all right. Well, that's what God has for us, an established place in his heart that belongs to just us that place was not reserved for any other woman that was alive that i knew of because i'd kill her if i did just saying is that mean is that christian is that onward christian soldiers marching (laughs) kill that hoe right now what no that's not a song okay oops sorry Y'all get me wound up. Huh? But anyway, hey, I'm grown. I'm old enough to be be a little senile anyway if I choose to. No, but you know what I'm saying. You just, just That place belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Amen? And if a man's got some sense, he will understand that and not try to push the envelope. But anyway, you you understand what I'm talking about. That's an established place in God's heart reserved for you that nobody can take from you. So you have a possession that is irrevocable. It cannot be taken from you ever. Now, you can walk away from it. You can deny its importance to you. You can even say you don't need it, whatever you want to say. But that place is still reserved for you. You got me? Nobody else but you. So it's an established place in the heart of God. <clears throat> there, that place has been reserved and established for you from the foundation of the earth. It's always been there for you. Think about the years that you were not saved, running around, doing your thing. And Jesus was waiting for you and longing for you to come and take your place in his heart. And that's really the truth of it. Amen. What brings him joy is to see us come back to him. Amen. After being estranged and and kidnapped by Satan and, and all of that mistreated by the world, mistreated by people, you know, not, uh, overlooked, 
made fun of, whatever your situation was, even if you were treated well by the world, it still doesn't measure up to the place that he has reserved for you from the foundation of the earth. Now, you have to think about that. That place has been empty in his heart for all that time. And an empty heart causes you to pursue the thing that will give you fulfillment. So we really are the Lord's fulfillment. We are what make him complete and he is what makes us complete. Amen. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know your importance to God. But you have an established place. I don't care who don't like you, who you think don't like you and who you don't like. You all, we all have an established place in God's heart. So we don't have to fight for attention. We don't have to compete with each other. We don't have to vie for attention or try to watch who likes who the best or who don't like us or we don't have to do that. You have an established place in the heart of God that he has been longing to see fulfilled. So this place that he has reserved for you is a place of honor and favor. So honor is the same thing as favor. You know, we don't use terms like this too much. You know, even in the Christian world, we, we don't use terms like honor. Uh, you know, you see it in the Bible, honor thy father and mother. And, but honor is a big word in the word of God because it's used as a proper attitude for us toward God the Father. Is this thing on now or no? Is it on? Does it work? Okay, so it's a place, honor is a term that really means to hold somebody in very high esteem. So when you esteem a person very highly, you will work toward pleasing them see an honorable place is a place that allows others to seek to please you and so god puts us he what what he has for us is a place of honor because he wants to please us and i think people don't really think about that a whole lot sometimes because many times our behavior indicates something totally different We don't really see ourselves as somebody God wants to please. But but he does. He's pleased to give us things. So in the giving, that's where he pleases us because he knows we live in a place of lack many times. Even though we can quote a scripture about the Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack, I have no want, uh, that kind of stuff. We live in a place of lack. This earth has much lack in it. And it's hard not to run into that sometimes as you live on this earth. So God wants to take care of us. So honor and favor means that he wants to please us and he wants to satisfy us. He wants to please us and he wants to satisfy us. He also, uh, the place in his heart is also a place of dignity where we have a uh, confidence in our relationship with him. Dignity really means that you have such an understanding of that person's love for you that you don't have to cater to their whims. You know what I mean when I say whims? 
I mean things that are fleshly in their origin. You know how some people, uh, they just, some people are just weak and, and not real mature. And so they feel good if they can manipulate others into some kind of behavior. That is real common with people. Uh, you know, it, it just, they don't know how to ask God for what they want. Don't have relationship with God to believe that he will give them things or freely gives them things. So they use their mood to manipulate people. They withhold good things. They withhold favor. They withhold blessing. They withhold a smile. They withhold contact of some type. You understand what I'm saying? It's so simple. People say stuff like, well, uh, I called him last time. I ain't going to call. You understand what I'm saying? It's just so common, so common where people don't know how to give. They don't know how to release anything outside of themselves so they can sow something that will come back to them and be a blessing. They have no confidence in the laws of God. Because the first law you want to catch on to is the law of sowing and reaping. Why? Because that puts you in control of good things to come into your life. See? For the first time in your life, you can bank on good things coming because you're giving out good things and you know that that law works. You won't know it works if you don't work it. And if you're working it and watching it, you still aren't working it right. I'm going to do this little bit and see if God, no, it's not going to work for you. You have to do it no matter what. You have to do it day in and day out, in season and out of season. You have to be instant to obey the law of God and the will of God. Amen. And so when we do those things, when we we set ourselves in agreement with what God has established for us, that established place in his heart, we see it's from that position that you start to direct your life and everything in your life works well because you know who you are. You know what you have. The devil can't talk you into trying to do this and do that so God will like you. Well, you know, if you don't do this, God's not going to bless you and all this. You don't understand what I'm saying? You're not on a performance basis. The way that we live is we're led by the Spirit of God to do the things that we know are right and pleasing in his sight. Not me. Devil then can't come up with something out of the blue and tell you you got to do that. If you don't do that, God won't do anything for you. Don't let him get in control of your life. So dignity means confidence in your relationship, man, where you don't stress, you don't sweat. You're not calling somebody four and five times a day. You know, you're not texting them day and night trying to keep up with where they are. You understand what I'm saying? There's a confidence. A dignity really means that you're confident in your relationship. And see, you get that confidence from God where you can walk into any fellowship anywhere and know that God is with you, that he placed you there. You have a place in that fellowship. You know, sometimes people will go to uh, uh, foreign countries and get among Christians and you receive just like you are anywhere else. That, that's a dignity. That's a confidence in your relationship with God where you don't stop and think, well, I'm the only black person there. I'm the only white person there. I'm the only 
Asian birth. You know, you don't think like that. Why? Because dignity tells you you have a confidence in your relationship with God. I'm going to go to hear from the Lord. You know, I'm not going to be accepted by people or rejected by people. I'm going because God has sent me there and I have established place of dignity in his heart. Amen. It is a confidence in your relationship. The other thing that, that God gives us, that established place, is a place of fulfillment. Amen. If you stay in the place God has for you, you're a fulfilled person. Now, you know, the devil's going to try to lure you out of that place. He's going to say some things that uh, tap into your insecurity, you know, uh, get your feathers ruffled by something, upset your plans or upset your with whatever. You know, he'll do those things to try and get you out or make you feel that you're lacking something. You know, uh, even though you know that God has has always come through for you, he always will come through for you. But somehow this time it's different. You understand? So the enemy wants to try and convince us this time it's different so that you will experience lack so that you you won't allow God to peacefully guide your life. See, when you when you have lack inside of you, there's a desperation there. You know, it, it really, uh, if you're not fulfilled and you experience some kind of lack or hunger, thirst, something like that, it puts you on desperation street. And so what happens is you start going out seeking for that thing and and you let the flesh take over so your flesh is hounding you for something you know uh after 22 years my dear car finally died i don't know i know funeral services pending <laughs> i know we should have a proper burial we should have like a little cremation or I know, tis sad, tis sad. But I'm not been out of shape about it. You know, and to be honest with you, I haven't decided what I want. You know, as faith people, you know, write the vision and make it plain. Yeah, when there is a vision, I don't happen to have one. You know, I know pretty much the kind of car I think I want, but I just don't know. So I told God, I said, when it's time, you do it. I can't do it. I can't think of replacing. No. I didn't even ever ever give the car a name or a gender. It's kind of like gender. It's gender neutral right now. So so I'm politically correct. No, you don't want to give it a gender burial after we're living in a politically correct age now. So anyway, anywho, (laughs) so... So we're, we're pending, okay? So we're in the pending stage. I know, it's terrible, 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 terrible. The, um, I did have it towed, you know, just conked on me. It never conked before. So I, I did have it towed and, uh, but before I, I, uh, set out to where I was going, it, I knew the radiator was empty. So the, uh, I stopped by the gas station and, and, uh, the guy at the gas station put antifreeze. He said, you know, it still needs more. Let's shut up. Talk about my car like that. 
my car is not a glutton. We don't have a weight problem in my house. <laughs> so anyway, when I, when I called him and told him they were going to tow it to his place, I said, you poisoned my car. I said, you gave it something. I said, it's that stuff you gave it when I was. So already we're blaming. It's just okay. I was in a bad space. Space. So anyway, but, you know. Details later. <laughs> Whenever the arrangements are made, you will be informed. But anyway, I decided I was just going to, I decided a long time ago because for years, you know, I've been thinking about it. I said, eh, well, one day I'll have it. Well, one day is finally here. So you don't do things before one day comes. Because what most people dread is that the thing breaks down and they have to get something. See, a lot of times we make plans to avoid the inevitable situation instead of letting it play out the way God wants it to play out. You understand what I'm saying? I said, I got too many other things to spend money on right now. If that car's running, we just going to run. You understand? And so, uh, uh, and, and I know God will handle it the way he wants to handle it. Amen. I thought about it. I said, I only drive once or twice a week kind of thing. So, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, um, <laughs> I had three cars. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I needed all of them at one time, but more and more I'm not needing so much. So anyway, you know, we, we just have to really trust God. But I know I have a place in God God's heart that causes me to feel fulfilled so I'm not easily moved. You know, I'm not in a panic about it. I'm not in any distress about it. Uh, I'm in my Amos 913 season. And so that's a season where, you know, it's it's more than what I could ask for. And before, you see, he's already got it prepared for me. All I need to do is wait for him to move me into it. You know what I'm saying? And so, and but I wasn't always this way, and I know you weren't. You're you're all growing in different areas as well. But I can can now confidently say I'm not pressed about anything. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not pressed, so it's good. And and not easily moved. So when you're a fulfilled person, you're not easily moved. And trust me, the devil will try to move you. He'll do everything he can to move you. But if you're not easily moved, you're a fulfilled person. Amen? It's a place of authority as well, where you have authority over who you are, number one. So you know who you are, and you're content with that. And many of the the situations that come to try us try to challenge us on who we are. When when you're tried on your patience, you know, the enemy's trying to get you to think that you have to do something quickly to remedy your situation. And and really, if you can be still and let God handle things for you, it'll come. So you have a place in his heart where he says, you don't have to be upset about this. I'm handling this. Amen. I am handling this for you. And so that place of authority lets you know that you are the one person who between you and God, you get to call the shots in your life. You have authority over your own life. You have the authority of being God's beloved. So you have authority over all the works of darkness. 
You have authority over every evil that would ever come near you or try to come upon you. So you have all of that. You have all of that. And so when we understand what we have and how we have it and why we have it, then we'll understand the full impact and authority of the place that we have in God's heart. He's reserved a place in his heart for you that you have authority over everything on the earth that would vex you, everything that would try and challenge you, everything that would try and move you out of your place that he has for you. See, the whole thing that the enemy is trying to do is separate us from the love of God. If he can get us to turn on God, then he's got a good shot at taking us down. But if you can get yourself firmly established in who you are and the special place that you have in his heart, that nobody can move you, that place has been carved out for you from the foundation of the earth. It's a good place. It's an established place. And it's not one you have to earn. But it is one you have to choose to abide in. So you just choose to live in that place and dwell in that place that God has for you, and it's all good. See, you can start expecting good at every turn. You don't have to be afraid of, you know, like when you leave work on Friday, if the boss didn't look at you right or something like that, you don't have to fear Monday when you walk in there what the boss was thinking. You understand what I'm saying? You know you have a place of fulfillment in God and nothing that boss can say. Now, if there's a legitimate criticism or illegitimate criticism, you'll handle it according to the way God's word says you're going to handle it. You understand what I'm saying? You just do according to the word of God and it's all good. See, when you have an established place, you never lose it because of bad behavior. You never lose it because of your sin. You never lose it because of what you think or what what happens in relationships. You don't lose it based on those things. You just never do. And so when you have a place that's established, seek what you need to seek is that place and how to abide in that place, not let the enemy move you out, not let him force you out. Not let him uh, manipulate you out, but to live in that established place. Amen. So in the authority that you have in in him is a wifely authority. Amen. So uh, even if you've never been married before, you understand that a wife has one place. She's got the top spot in the husband's heart. You understand that because of the vows, he's agreed to leave, to cleave unto him and the two shall be one flesh. So you operate in agreement. See, your authority is, is to operate in agreement with God. So the things that he's ordained for you will come to pass and you will be blessed beyond measure. So it's a, a, uh, co uh, co-laborer joint heir relationship where you have authority to seek God for certain things that are already given to you. So you don't have to go in begging. You don't have to go in doubting. You don't have to go in fearful or, uh, you know, I've exhausted all, all my husband's patience and all that kind of stuff. Huh? <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever. You go in there and they're still breathing, you know you got another chance. 
But it didn't kill him this time. He said it was going to, but it didn't. So anyway, but um, so it's a place of, of that type of authority. It's a place of place of privilege also. Not to be arrogant about what you know, but a reverence toward your beloved. Amen. It's a reverence toward them. Where you know that, that that's a place that has been given to you and you honor that that person. You know, you honor God and that place there's a reverence there for him that you know that you you have that position because of relationship and not so much because of behavior. Got me? Not that you're be, you seek, seek to have a bad behavior. See, the arrogant will always test, always ride the edge of obedience, see how much they can get away with, you know. And God's not good. He's just going to let you fall on your own. He's not going to kick you out of nowhere. He lets you fall on your own. Now, if you're that crazy, somebody loves you and has done all that for you, and you're crazy enough to keep testing that love, It says pride goes before the fall. You know, it leads you into a fall. And a haughty look goes before destruction. So you're on a bad path if you're testing to see if God will give you. If I don't do this, you know, people counsel you and you know the word and tell you what you need to do. And you still go and do what you want to do anyway and have an excuse for it all the time. Well, you're riding the edge. See, you have no idea. You're not acting dignified. You're not, you're not acting up to who you are. See, you're not acting up to your appointed place. And so if you're not acting dignified, if you're not acting honorable, if you're not acting in all of these ways, you are testing what God has already established for you. You need to just accept it and act accordingly. You know, I always give the example of Princess Diana. She was probably one of the most unhappy people in the world for no reason. She had it made. She agreed to marry this man. She agreed to be a part of a, a royal family, understanding what that entailed. You know, they they had some property and that kind of stuff. They were semi, you know, want to be royalty, but not quite in there. So they felt that she had enough training and understanding of things where she could hold up her end of it. But she failed on it and managed to convince the popular people in the country that she was somehow wronged by these people. You got me? They adopted her as one of them, and they identified with her. And when the marriage split came, uh, she was encouraged you know, not to reconcile, go your own little separate way, et cetera, et cetera. And it caused her demise. Why? Because she had everything they had fulfilled on their promise to her. Now, when trouble came into marriage, nobody knows who cheated on who, who did what, any of that. But there's a way that you can recoup and repair if you go back to your original what you promised and you're not so anxious to get out on your own and have your way reporters would get angry with her and they say you're a princess why don't you act like one they didn't use those terms they always threw in a a four-letter cuss word 
because they were angry and frustrated with her because they'd never seen anybody that was royalty act like that. See? Didn't know who she was. No dignity, no honor, any of that. And it caused her demise. See? The enemy will get you to cross the line and get over into his territory. How? Or he can do what he wants to do. She made enemies of the paparazzi who were, they made her who she was. And many times those people aren't that hard to get along with, but she decided that she would take the carnal route in dealing with them. See, instead of keeping honor and dignity, knowing who she was, doing the things that her role called for. So she stepped out of her role and the enemy was able to kill her running away from people taking photographs of her well they had antagonized those people so much all they did was complain and harass see they used to be friends now they're enemies harassing her all the time and so these are the things that people do when they don't understand they have an established place see she had a title she had a crown she had a marriage she had children she had everything But she never knew who she was. You see what I'm saying? She never accepted. That was never good enough for her. And so when you're a person of privilege, you can't be arrogant about who you are, what you know. You have to be reverent toward the one who provides the privilege. Her husband provided that privilege for her. Now, there are, are spiritual truths about these things as well one of the problems that you have when you have a a situation where your inheritance comes through your spouse is that they have a history with that inheritance and so it is said that there are some secret societies that guard all of their wealth the knights templar the Knights of Columbus, all of those uh, Catholic uh, chain, like they're tied to the Catholic Church now. But many years ago, bless you, they they and, and still do. When you have secret oaths and you have secret covenants and things of that nature, those words hold. Those words have power. Those words have influence in the realm of the spirit. And because she was dating a Muslim man, the wealth would have gone to the sworn enemy of Christ. See, the the Crusades fought the Muslims many centuries ago. Amen? And they were part of that order. And so anything that's protected by that order is still protected as far as spiritual forces are concerned. So you threaten to take what belongs to one entity and give it to another they have to eliminate you to protect what it is that they have and see she would have taken some of the crown jewels the royal property all of that kind of stuff and put it in the hands of muslim people and so part of that whole scenario is what got rid of her she just stepped out from under protection see your husband as a, a, a if you're married he's a protection to you if you obey him if you submit to him it's just true you start getting some of these crazy women's lib ideas and you can do this and you can do that. You'll be like just like the rest of them out there now. So, 
So it's a good thing to understand who you are. I just give you that as an example of understanding in the natural what it means. If it has that power in the natural, think what it has in the spirit with the spirit of God being the one who provides everything for us. So we have privilege. You're not to be arrogant about what you know, but reverent always toward your spouse. You are to give God honor and dignity. You are to do the things you are to seek to please him. Not just do a little bit here and a little bit there and say, whoo, I'm tired. I'm, I'm going to wait for somebody else to obey God. How come I got to obey you all the time? You understand the relationship you're obligated. So that relationship obligates you. The other thing that you're provided with is provision. Hmm? Provision is granted already. So you're not in works. You're not begging. You don't look at yourself as it'll come if he, if he likes me. You got, you don't have to manipulate God to give you anything. It's already granted. It's such a wonderful thing. You know, that, that's a great love. If somebody gives it to you blanket anyway and you'll have to do anything but be cool. And trust and believe and give them their respect. You know what I'm saying? That's why I used to always say about Princess Diana. I said, all she had to do was be cool. She'd have been here now. She'd see her children, her grandchildren. I'm sure she wanted to see that. She's just not on the right road to get it done. So we have provision. We don't have to get into works and think we're earning something from God. And we don't have to beg. And the biggest thing he provides for us is love, which is a shelter for us. Love provides a canopy of goodness, protection, everything you need, all of the fruit of the spirit. We have his adoration towards us. He gives all for us. Love is all of that. Love is all of that. So there's a story that I'm going to share with you. It's in the book of Esther. I wanted to share with you the difference between uh, a woman, a wife, who understands what it means to have an established place in a man's heart and a woman who does not understand. So in Esther chapter 1, we see the story of Queen Vashti, or Vashti, for you, for you girls from the hood. Yeah. I'm just Vashti from the block. Uh, so she don't have to be Vashti, she can be Vashti today. <laughs> and she from the block. Amen. So in Esther chapter 1, verse 1, it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, that is, Ahasuerus, which reigned from India to Ethiopia. So this man controlled the known world. You look at how far India is from Ethiopia. And that, that included all, pretty much all of the known world at that time. And so I forget if he was a Mede or a Persian. Let me see what it says in here. Oh, I can't find it, but we know what his Persian, yeah, Persian. So you know what his reign was. And so it says in those days, it says he was over a hundred 
the over 107 and 20 provinces. So that in those days when the king Hashawera sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign, now he's just getting started as far as kings are concerned. You know, it's not a long time to be on the throne. He made a feast unto all his princes. So these are the 127 um, uh, rulers of all of those provinces. He had them all there. And he made a feast to them and his servants, unto his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media. So he ran both of them, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. And he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and four score days. So what they did was they had hot and cold running servants, hot and cold running food, hot and cold running entertainment. You know, there would be displays and, and tours into the palace of all of the things that he owned. And then his crowning glory was guess what the queen hey uh the the bible says that that the woman is the crown of the husband amen you establish he through his his wife he establishes who he is in the earth that's why husbands, I mean real husbands, I, I don't know what kind of husbands they got floating around these days. These stowbought husbands. 90-day fiancé husbands. And green card husbands. And speed dial husbands. All that kind of stuff. But But real husbands want to adorn their wives so that they look good to them. Amen. How many of you women, especially if you have children, when the husband comes home, if the kids hair ain't combed or they don't have clean clothes on, you get that look in that face. Huh? He said, baby, you got to clean them up. Now you get, get them clean. Keep the kids clean for me. You know why? Because that's a reflection of who he is. His family, his wife, number one. And then his children, they are reflection of who he is. They want you to look good, smell good. Huh? They, I was listening to a song. Uh, those of you who are close to my age, if you can admit it, but you're not. Anyway, but does anybody remember Burt Bacharach had a song, Wives and Lovers? It was from a Broadway. Hey, little girl. Yeah. And it talked about how a woman should adorn herself when she knew her husband was coming home. And it was from a, a Broadway musical. It ran for a lot of years. I forget what the name. See, y'all looking at me like I'm stupid right now. See, I know. And see, and then I heard him play that. He had a live special on maybe about 10 years ago. And he said, yeah, they laugh at this song. They tell me to change the words because it's not politically correct now. But it was wives should always be lovers, too. In other words, he just left the office with somebody who was all dolled up. When he walks in the door, you <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That's sage advice. That's a Proverbs 31 kind of attitude, folks. 
Now, we don't want to admit we're doing it for them because somehow when we get married, we get a little stupid. Uh-huh. Go somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? Don't be stupid. In other words, what does it cost you to dress up? What does it cost you to put on, I mean, comb your hair at least? You don't even have to put on no lipstick. I wear lip gloss. You know, just put a little gloss on there and. You know, because my lips get dry without it, huh? I don't get no chapstick out. That's for lesbians. Y'all, you. <laughs> Lip glosses for girls. <laughs> That's going to be important to y'all one day. Don't tell me, huh? When you pull out the chapstick, they look at you funny. Put that stuff, don't get no more of that stuff. I don't care how medicinal you think you, and don't get nothing with no smelly stuff in it. Let that camphor and eucalyptus, that, put that stuff down now. Come on, y'all. Let's get the, the pata, pota, pota cream or whatever they call it. Well, whatever that stuff. You know what, but you know what I'm, you know the difference. Be taking it out of your back jean pocket and all that. Don't do that. Straighten up now, y'all. So anyway, he wants to introduce the crown. See, he this is time for everything that he works for as a king. This means, this establishes who he is. And he said, y'all think my stuff is something. Wait till you see my number one, huh? So he sends some some attendants to go get her. I mean, a big entourage. And she refuses to come. Over there with her homegirls, huh? Who? I don't know. He don't tell me what to do. I don't care how much stuff he got. Huh? Verse 11. To bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty. Because she was nice looking. See, this is where it's a problem. Because, see, you can get real ugly in a hurry. Huh? Proverbs tells you charm is deceitful and beauty, what? Fades. So, I mean, it ain't going to be like that. You know, you need to let him show you off why you look good. Because, see, you got some, you got something banked up for them years where it starts falling apart. And I'm telling them right, Miss Pat. Cause they'll sit up there and see when you, when it's, when you kind of like sagging a little bit and old and stuff, they'll look at you and still see that girl you used to be. Uh, I'm gonna quit talking to y'all. Let me just read. I do better when I just read. I can't really talk to y'all. Y'all ain't in no talking mood today for some reason. I don't know what it is, but got that Presbyterian thing on. Huh? Well, she was a beautiful woman, but Queen Vashti refused to come to the king's at the king's what? Uh Uh-huh. See, if a man loves you, he ain't begging you for nothing. I said, if he loves you, he's not begging you for anything. So y'all quit being immature in your relationships. See, they might beg you until you get married. After you get married, ain't no reason to beg no more. And it shouldn't be for either one of you. 
you ought to be secure in your relationship enough to know that you can make demands of one another. What you smiling about? She waiting for the punchline. I wish I knew what it was. No. But the demand is this. We have a relationship with a series of vows. And according to that relationship, I can expect certain things out of you. Didn't I speak Greek just now? I spoke English, right? I said we have a relationship that includes vows. And according to those vows, I can expect certain things out of you. And I am putting a demand on those vows right now. And it's not all one-sided either. Now, it looks like he didn't put, put up a lot there, folks. He got her position. He got her the crown jewels. He got attendants to come and escort her. You know, it ain't like he telling her, just come on up here any kind of way. He's sending the entourage, not Uber. He got a limo. You understand what I'm saying? He's coming proper at her. But see, when it comes from the one in authority, it's a commandment and it's not a, if you please, if you feel like it, I'm begging you, you somebody. Uh See, in a marriage, you have a right to expect certain things out of your spouse both ways. Just don't get it confused as to what your role is. See, what we have now in this culture, people are confused as to the roles and and nothing gets done. When you have confusion, you have every evil work. You have a lot of things that go undone and you have unhappy and unfulfilled people in that relationship because they're making it up as they go along. See, when your Bible says the husband is the head of the wife, God means that. Well, he need to act like it. What if you would calm down? Let me throw you a piece of raw meat and get that edge off of you. Get that little nasty edge off of you. It'd be all right. Huh? Most of us don't give people a chance to figure out what their role is. You understand what I'm saying? Some people still try to figure it. Been married 30 years and they stay, they working on it though. She refused. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Men sometimes will bow to witchcraft, but it's because they doing their own little warlock thing on you. So sometimes you can have a, a relationship that's not clean just because people are immature and don't know how they don't know how to give is a problem. Uh, you know, and when they do give, they resent giving. You think people can't tell your attitude ain't right when you do stuff? Nobody's stupid. And and biggest yet, God knows it. He knows if your heart's right when you do things. So she refused the king, verse 12. Spirits of rebel, rebellion, witchcraft, dishonor. 
Everything the king did was legal. He did things the right way. Verse 13, then the king said, but, but Queen Vashti refused, verse 12, and came to come to the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore, was the king very angry, and his anger burned in him. Then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, <laughs> ooh, what, what's it time for? <laughs> the king said, what time is it? Time to fire her. Uh, they knew the times. These were astrologers. They could, you know, and they could tell when, you know, they look up in the stars and say, hmm, I don't see her face up there no more. <laughs> see, that's all it took for any of his homeboys. Yeah, they were the prophets, the carnal prophets of the day. So when he said they knew the times is because they studied the stars to get their information. See? God in God's kingdom, what does he do? He calls you and he puts his anointing and his spirit on you and he gives you his word. They studied the stars to tell us, oh, you know what, King, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but I don't see her face up there no more. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, I got to fire her. Amen. And so that's what he did so that he was not acting out in anger and acting emotionally. He went to his counselors. And the king said to them, he, so, uh, who knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew the law and judgment. So he never made any decisions impulsively, in a rash manner, but he knew what was coming. You understand what I'm saying? He loved this woman, but she made a major mistake. You got me? And so instead of him acting out in anger and just throwing her out, or you could be put to death if the king got angry enough at you, if you disobeyed a command, you could be put to death. He decided to defer to his counselors. Verse 13, king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew the law and judgment. So these were his lawyers and these were his counselors. And the next to him was all them four guys which saw the king's face and sat at the first in the kingdom. So they're looking at this man. They said, this man could put this woman to death if we don't step up and try to get a better answer for him. So they decide to act in wisdom says, what shall we do to the queen Vashti according to the law? Because she has not performed the commandment of the king by his chamberlains. And Mimikin answered before the king and his princes. He says, she's done wrong. She has not done what she was supposed to do. He said, but she didn't do it to the king only. But to all the people that are in the provinces. So when you have a position of authority and honor and dignity and all the things God gives us, there are people under you that are looking at your behavior. There are people in your workplace where you they see you, oh, you're going to a church thing again. Yeah, I'm going. Well, they're going to watch you to see what kind of person you are after all this, you going to church all the time stuff. And so there are always people under you, especially if you as a woman have the highest position in the land. 
And so it says, for this deed, verse 17, of the queen shall come abroad. He said, when all the women in the provinces hear what she can get away with, they will all despise their husbands. Got me? And he says, and, and it will be reported. And so the king commanded Vashti, the queen, to be brought in before him. But she came not, so that that's going to be the story. Likewise shall the ladies of Median Persia say, this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen thus shall there also arise much contempt and anger so in other words this kingdom could fall apart if this situation gets known if it gets known she can get in your face and refuse you and do anything she wants to do then it'll spread you see how influence position brings influence that somehow we don't even understand we have Amen. That's why it's wise for people who, you know, in families where you have children, don't say and do too much in front of your kids. You understand what it says, especially if you and the, if the children, children should not even know that you disagree with one another on things. You need to let them know, you know, and you can tell them in a subtle way. Now, your father and I don't agree with everything, but I got sense enough to know that he's the head of the house. So we going to do what he do, tell us to do and respect him. Amen. Your children should never be your sounding board or your counselors when you have disagreements with any adult because you're going to pay for it. You teach them to disrespect authority. You teach them to poo-poo authority, and that's why they won't do what you tell them to do. You're hurting yourself when you do that. And so we have to be careful. The example, when you have the, the family is the oldest system in the world. There are families in every single culture. You can't go to a culture where there aren't families. And there is a definite family order that must be respected. It's got to be maintained at all times. You don't, you don't get in front of your kids and tell them to disrespect the school. You understand what I'm saying? Now, there are things that they will, will observe and they will know, but you have to leave it at, but those are your teachers and you have to obey them. You, you are there for an education. You understand what I'm saying? So let's find out what they want you to do and let's get, get after it and let's get it done. But you don't call your, tell your children their teachers are racist. And they don't like, you know, come on now. We got to grow up here, folks. You'll do better holding your peace. If you and the wife want to talk like that in private, then you do that and you hash it out. But you make up your minds. You're going to present a good face before those offspring. Because those children will suffer for it because they will rebel against authority. They get to a job. They won't do what the boss tells them to do. All of that stuff, it follows you. Sow that seed. That's a bad seed to sow. You've got to learn how to keep your your place. And see, that's not true for you anyway because your kids can do anything through Christ. Racism doesn't hold them back. Are you kidding me? If it had any power, we wouldn't even, we'd still be on a plantation somewhere. Amen? Well, I wouldn't just... My native people would come and rescue me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I put on the stuff, girl. When they come around, I said, what color do I need to be today? You know what I'm saying? Get out of here. But you know what I'm talking about. 
there had to be a power greater than evil to bring us out of where and it does that that power works for all oppressed people so let's get this get get with the the details here let's get to getting here get get real and get smart amen Cloretta's people been put on islands as slaves my people your people power to the people amen yeah we we lived on uh you know the caribbean islands together with irish people who were enslaved amen you'll find down in the carolinas you'll find whole families of of black people with red hair huh power to the people (laughs) it ain't your traditional black irish either see i got that too so you know (laughs) whatever Barbo Shanahan, you know what I'm saying, that kind of stuff. I go there too. Amen. Amen. I, rep- I represent all the oppressed free people, you know. So anyway, they decide they're going to fire the queen. Oh. Verse 19, they come to him with much respect. Amen. He says, if it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him and let it be written in the law and not be altered that Vashti come no more before the king and let the king give her royal (sighs) underline that next word that's where the money is girls huh give her royal estate that's what we have in God's heart we have a, a a already ordained place in his heart Plus, we have an estate in him. We have an inheritance. We have possessions. We have things that we can call our own. You don't have to get nasty with him and take his stuff. He's already granted those things. Amen? Just the crown itself. You take that bad boy to a pawn shop, you can live a lot of years You understand what I'm saying? So he'll probably get a new crown, take the jewels out, have a new crown designed for his new queen. Amen. So when the king's decree, which he shall make, shall be published throughout all the empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both small and great. Amen. And so this goes for everybody. And the saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memekin. For he sent letters into all the king's provinces, to every province according to the writing there was, and every people, every language, should bear rule in his, every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. And so those are things that can be demanded according to your covenant. That the woman honor the man and the man take authority, be responsible, be the one who understands he's the provider for the whole household, that kind of stuff. And so we have a right to expect those things in covenant from people, especially in a marriage, but we have a right to expect it in covenant from God. That's why some of the translations, when it says ask, the word demand is there. Demand because you already have a promise and an agreement that that will be given to you. So there is a demand made there for certain behavior. 
there's a demand that made there for certain attitude. There's a demand made there for certain peace in that household. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so there's, there must, there must be a mandate of behavior when you have something that's as important as a marriage. It's not something you can make it up as you go along and decide what kind of marriage you're going to have. There's only one marriage ordained from God. Amen? So, okay. So now we're into chapter two. We're going to talk about Esther. How much time do I have, Miss Clarita? Oh, my goodness. We got 11 minutes for the queen, Esther. So after these sayings, when the wrath of the king was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. And the king's servants that ministered to him said, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. Let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather together all the young virgins into Shushan, the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women. And let there be things for purification be given to them. Let the maiden that pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti and the thing please the king. And so he did. And so in comes Esther who was brought up under her cousin. I think she had more. I used to call him Uncle Morty, but I think it's her cousin. And so Mordecai is her cousin, but he's a generation older, no doubt, older than she is. She is taught to obey him in everything. See, when you're an obedient child, you, you, you're in line for great things. You know, your sweet kids, the ones that you are afraid are going to be a pushover. Huh? Because they're obedient, subservient. They don't ruffle feathers. They are, they're in line for great things. Cause they're, they're understanding more than you think they do. They understand when to shut up. They understand. You, you get them kids sometimes and get to talking to them, you know, where you get a relationship with them and they open up to you. You'll find out they smarter than a lot of grown people, you know. You understand what I'm saying? Because <laughs> they know how to stay out of trouble. People that are known troublemakers don't bug them. You know, where you upset all the time, they just as calm as they can be and you think they include in. They just don't show everything. You know, that's wisdom. And so she's one of those children that was always obedient to her older cousin he told her not to tell anybody that they were jews because they were always an oppressed people sometimes that's good you know the people who are blatantly christians around you and then they you find out they sleeping with somebody got a boyfriend living with them and stuff well they have to announce their christianity because they don't live it if you live it people will god will let them know who you are you don't have to go around telling everybody. They will find, your works will find you out. And so here Esther is, she's called in and she's grouped in with these other women. And so it says in verse 10, she'd not shown her people or her kindred. Mordecai had t- told her not to show it. Mordecai walked every day keeping an eye on her. Now people say God's never mentioned in this book and he's not. But there's a lot of God stuff in here. Like Mordecai, to many people, represents the Holy Spirit, where he watches over us. He controls our behavior. He opens doors. He closes doors. He hovers so that when we have need of him, he is right there, and we know he's there. His presence is felt and known, so we know that we're not alone. 
every man maid's turn was come to go into the king after she had been 12 months getting perfumed. You don't step into your queen things until you're purified. You, 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 you just don't reign on day one. I don't care how much faith you have to name it and claim it. This is a position that is, is that God grooms us to. The Bible says that he has a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So the purification goes on forever. He washes us with the water of the word so that we can remain spotless all the day. This isn't something where we stay stinky until the last minute. You understand what I'm saying? You know, sometimes people think uh, God puts them through more hard things than somebody else. Quit looking at other people. You don't know where they're going. See, only God knows what he's grooming you for. See, the other girls might have, oh, that scrub brush. I don't like that scrub brush. And they got rusty elbows. You understand what I'm saying? They leave a trail of flakes walking across the room. Well, you got to get them elbows scrubbed. You know, got to get that stuff. You can't go in looking like that. Huh? So we don't really know what manner of spirit we are until God begins to work on us. And you will always get to do the thing that you think is so hard to do and you fear so much having to do. That will come up as a got to do. You got me? You're going to have to do those things. Why? Because the things we fear are the things that have the most power over us. And God wants to be in control of your life. He don't want your moods controlling you and your fears controlling you. He doesn't want that for us. He wants a free bride. Somebody who knows him and knows his righteousness. So you have to please him. To please him means to fit in an established place in his heart that has been abandoned. We were, we abandoned that place because of sin. So when we, when we are saved, when we serve the God of this world, we abandon God. And this left an empty place in his heart that he has been longing to fulfill. But he wants a proper bride. You're not, he's not going to take you raggedy. He's not going to take you thinking something wrong about him. He wants a bride who abides in truth. So the, um, the, you have been born into a family. You have a father. You have a groom. And you are connected by the Holy Spirit, a promise. So the promise comes from the father. The Holy Spirit makes you aware of it. And the groom is the one who co-signs and gives permission for you to receive those things. So we have relationship with all three. That's why you are fulfilled in Christ. You have no need for anybody else in the family. You, know, you got a father. You have somebody who loves you with all of his heart. And you have a connector, a person who intercedes for you and keeps the relationship going. The whole, it is a Holy Spirit's job to keep the relationship between you and God strong. He's the one who convicts you when you step out of the way. Don't go over there. Stay over here. Amen. This is where your beloved is, and he wants you to be right here all the time. And so when we understand that, when we understand we are born into a solid, complete family in God, then the rest of it will be easy for us. We'll be able to walk in all that God has for us. Amen. So when God goes to fill this place, he comes as a father. You're introduced 
to the son and you're connected by the Holy Spirit. Promises hold this relationship together. You can live off of his promises. You don't have to see anything. Amen. You can live off because the promise is fulfilling. The Holy Spirit knows how to to, uh, allow us to feel fulfilled. So we don't have to compete for God's love. You have a sense that there is a place for you and nobody can move you out of it. How many of you have felt at times that you were the only one that God was talking to? You were the only one who had this. And he knows how to do that with each and every one of us. Amen. Even though you know everybody has access to him, you're not jealous of them because you're so fulfilled. Amen. See, you know, you, you'll have some relationships like we hear this about preachers' kids all the time. Uh, they mad at father because he spends all that time with them church people, never any time for them. Well, they've got an established place in God's heart. All the pastor needs to do is direct everybody to God. And he won't wear himself out trying to run around and keep up with everybody and all this crazy stuff. Refer them to your father and their father. Amen. And your God and their God. And we won't have these gaps. We won't have these missing things. Don't ever let your kids think because you know God that you're special and they can't have that. Let them know that that's for them too. And let's pray and and ask God to make that real to you. You feeling lonely, God will let you know you're accepted in the beloved. I want this to be real to you. So all the days of your life, you will know the fellowship and companionship with God. Amen. Why don't we stop? We thank you, Father, for allowing us this opportunity to tap into your heart, your heart of love, Lord, your heart of completeness, your heart of wonder and glory. That we are so complete in you, Lord, we don't need anything else. So we thank you for that secure place in our hearts that only you dwell in. In Jesus' name, amen. And praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up for prayer. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Everybody all good?